Today I want to speak about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the kind of revelatory gifts, if you like, and they are in a catch-all bundle. Uh, the gift of a word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discernment, and prophecy all come into that kind of umbrella understanding of wisdom or revelation that is not part of your normal everyday. And I want to use a what would be unusual passage to start to speak about this. It's John chapter 6. And in the first 14 verses, there is the story that we know so well of Jesus um, has been doing miraculous things and he moves out into the countryside probably to get some quiet for himself and a huge crowd, a multitude it says, follows him. And the people are with him for some time obviously and the disciples become anxious about how they are out in the open, they are far away from anything and what are they going to do about um, them being looked after and fed. And it says this, Jesus looked up and when he saw the great crowd coming towards him he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he really had in mind what he was going to do. There's clearly there a, a, a word of understanding, word of wisdom, word of knowledge that Jesus has. And Philip answers him and he says, eight months wages wouldn't be enough bread for each one to have a bite. He's clearly, um, so that's dramatic statement. Um, and then another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, speaks up and he says, randomly in a way. Here is a boy with five small loaves, barley loaves, and two small fish, but how far will that go amongst so many? Now Philip has already just said that it would take eight months wages for everyone to just get a bite. And Andrew comes and says, well here's a boy and he's got two, uh, five barley loaves and two small fish. Now that was his lunch. It wasn't um, that he had a huge backpack. It was just these little tiny little patties of bread with two little fish. That was enough for a little boy. We'll come back to that in a minute, but that's where I want to start today, because it's out of that little boy's giving that the miracle of the feeding of 5,000 takes place. And I want to start with another story. It's a story of a young woman uh, born and grown up in Australia who um, uh, is is particularly ungodly in the sense that she had no perception of what it was to be religious in any sense. She ended up being a journalist on an Australian newspaper. And then she had an experience of Jesus. Now we met this lady, Gail and I, when we were in our first church. We were a, a small bunch just struggling to get by. And I received a phone call from a colleague saying, would you like Kerry Southey? to come and stay with you and to do some meetings. And we instantly said yes. So Kerry came, went and fetched her, and she stayed with us for a week. And we had meetings every night of the week. Kerry subsequently went on over the years to have 20-odd years of the most dramatic and powerful international ministry with word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discernment, healing, prophecy, all these kind of gifts that I'm talking about today. And in a way, that was Gail and, and, and my introduction to first-hand experience of all of this. 
What was wonderful is that she stayed with us for that week and we got to know her really well. We became friends. She ended up marrying a South African sheep farmer and settling uh, not far from where we were actually at that stage. That's another story altogether. But her story of how this happened for her, how she started to do uh, what she felt God called her to do, was very simple. I've already mentioned that she had no religious background whatsoever. And she had an experience of Jesus. She came to faith. And the person who was um, responsible for being with her and helping her through those initial stages just said to her a simple thing. When you get to pray for somebody, and as you pray for them, offer to pray, and then pray whatever comes into your head. So very shortly after her experiencing the salvation of Jesus, she has a friend of hers come around to her flat and has a meal and they have a time together. And as she's going, she says to this friend, can I pray for you? Now, this friend is slightly blown away and says, yes, okay. And Kerry begins to pray and she prays what she thinks, what's coming into her head, what's at the top of her mind. She just literally opens herself and prays it. And then she says, Amen. And she said that when she looked up and she, she stopped and saw this woman, this woman had her eyes wide open, looking at Kerry. And then she said, how did you know all those things? And she said, what things? And in a sense, that's, it's, it's, it's as simple as that. We open ourselves up and we, we trust that what God gives us is there for the benefit and the good and the encouragement and the comfort and the building up of the other person. Now, Kerry uh, uh, twigged quite quickly that this is how it worked. And so she started doing it. And then in the early stages, she was still a young single woman when she came to stay with us. But eventually she had... 20 odd years going all over the world almost non-stop if it had been allowed because she had a family with two young children but um, this this incredible openness to the Holy Spirit and to doing what God said to her and saying what she felt he was saying the other thing that she said to us was that every time it's a risk, every time you don't know, you say something and you're not sure. And yes, you get more confident, you get more mature, you grow up, but there's always this sense of it's not me. It's not me. I've still got to take that step of reaching out into it. So just briefly then, let me uh, try to define word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discernment essentially as that sort of umbrella phrase. Now, a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom. A word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, let's start with that. A word of wisdom is that thing that you, you speak that is given to you as an individual by God. It, it drops into your, into your consciousness. That is his wisdom. It's seeing a situation as God sees it. It's, it's seeing something as God uh, sees it and saying what he wants to say. It's applying God's wisdom, if you like, for a specific situation. In the Old Testament, you have the famous story of Solomon with the two women who come to him in 1 Kings 3 with the 
um, baby, the two of them claiming the baby is theirs. And there's this incredible wisdom that Solomon has that is a gift that God has given him. In the New Testament, there is um, that moment where Jesus, the woman is brought to Jesus, caught in the act of adultery in John 7 and John 8. And the way he handles it um, is they're trying to trap him and he moves it and turns it right around. There is, there is incredible wisdom there. And often in a situation of tension or crisis or um, distress, there is a need for the wisdom of God. Often when there's not stress, but there's just a need for wisdom. And that's, that's the word of wisdom. Word of knowledge is slightly different. It is also um, something which we speak that is inspired by God, um, spoken by each of us. But it gives an insight into the way that God thinks or works or what he's doing. It's just, it's not so much wisdom as insight, as a knowledge of what's happening. It's what the Spirit wishes to declare in a particular situation. Um, the, there's a couple of examples here. Elisha in uh, 2 Kings 6, um, the king of Aram can't work out how Elisha knows all the time where exactly his armies are being stationed. And uh, Elisha has the sense of knowledge of what's happening that he gives to the king of Israel. And if you think of Jesus, the woman at the well in John chapter 4, where she says to him, How do you, I, dis, I perceive you're a prophet because you know what's going on. He's, he's, he's able to see into a situation and something drops into his um, consciousness, into his mind, into his thoughts, whatever it happens to be. And you see it also with some of the disciples. Now, I'm not going to go into a large number of examples here. But the discernment of spirits is really essentially about understanding what kind of spiritual thing is at play in a particular moment. What, sort, what is the source, if you like, of the spiritual activity that is taking place in that particular moment? Two really good examples of uh, this are in the beginning of um, 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel 3, there's the whole thing with um, the call of Samuel and Eli. Um, Eli's a bit thick, actually, because Samuel keeps coming to him saying, you called me, you called me. Then he discerns that this is God. And he says, next time it happens, say, speak, Lord, because your servant listens. Then as Samuel also is an older man, he goes, he's told by God in chapter 16 to go to anoint the new king of Israel. And he goes to Jesse and he says, I've come to anoint one of your sons as king of Israel. And he parades all the... The, the eldest and the, the strongest and the good-looking ones. And, and, and there is a discernment that takes place. And he says, is this all of them? Are you sure this is all of them? Because not one of these has God said. And then David is brought in from the fields. Um, in terms of the New Testament, Jesus was often able to discern the sickness that lay behind that, that what lay behind some of the sicknesses of people and he would he would expel and set people free from demonic influence um, and was often able to uh, pick up on the motives of people and and understand what they were doing and so too with the apostles and prophecy is very much like that as well now 
we could go into a large amount of detail. What I would like more to do today is to, is to encourage us and to motivate us to uh, trust God as Kerry did. It's not complicated. You don't need to know a whole lot of stuff before you begin to try and, and start this. You don't have to have everything neatly sorted out in terms of is this a word of wisdom or is it discernment. It's about whether we're willing to take a chance and risk. So how do we go about it? It's actually relatively simple because there is no method. Let me say that again. There is no method. There is not three steps or if you do this and then this and then that. There's nothing like that. There is simply a model. Now a model is totally different to method. A model is just saying this is how it looks and you have to find out and work out and work with it for yourself. So in many respects that's what discipleship is. It's it's understanding what is needed and then experimenting, trying it out, doing it for yourself until you grasp and catch what is actually happening in that situation. So let me give you the two things that you need in terms of this model. And the first thing is that you need to listen. You need to listen to what the Father is saying. You need to listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is the model for this, as with most other things. And in chapter 5, um, verse 20, in John's Gospel, it says, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Jesus is simply saying, My dad loves me, and he lets me in on what's happening. And he says, Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. He says, That's how it works. I, 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 I speak to my dad, he tells me what's happening, and I do it. In chapter 8, verse 28, if I can just get there for a second, here we go. It says in verse 27, they did not understand what he was telling them about the Father. So Jesus is he's trying to get through to his disciples, this whole relationship that he has with his Father. And so he said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be, and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. He's saying constantly to them, I do what I see my dad doing. I speak what I hear him saying. I only do those things. That's all that I do. Now, let's say that he was finally attuned, but in chapter 12, verse 49, there is another passage here where he says, right at the end, this is now at the end of his life. He's had all these years with these disciples. And he says to them, for I did not speak of my own accord. This is not my will. This is not my initiative. I see, I listen to what God is doing, what the Father said. I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. It can't be more plain than that. And you can say, well, I'm not, I'm not like Jesus. But in essence, we are. And so the first thing is that we need to, to be attentive and listening and have a posture of reception to see what God is doing, to be alert to what's going on around us, and to be attentive and listening 
to what the Spirit is saying to us in a particular situation? Will you always know exactly? And the answer is, in the beginning, probably not. There will be many hits and misses. There will be times when you, you think maybe this is it, and then it turns out not to be. Or you think it turns out not to be. I remember doing this once and going to see somebody and saying, well, I think this is what God said. And they, with loud protestation, said, no, it wasn't anything like that. And a couple of weeks later in a meeting, they were the first to jump up and confess something. And so we, we don't always know what's going on beneath the surface. What our responsibility to do, to, is to do is to simply listen and look and respond. And that's the second part. So we have to see or hear what the Father is doing. We have to listen. And then we have to obey. Now you could say, well, it I'm sure is a lot more complicated than that and it's a lot more difficult than that. And in essence it's not because that's the model that Jesus said. And he's trying to say to his disciples over and over and over again, I only do what I see my Father doing. I only speak what I hear him saying. And there's all the way through the Gospels these times where Jesus goes and spends the whole night out um, praying, being on his own. He communes with his Father. And so there is this sense of, I know what God is doing. I know what he's saying. Now for us, it may be a little bit more hazy or blunt than that. And we might find our way through this with difficulty and with some risk. But in essence, it's the model that Jesus used. Listen and then do it. When you hear or see what God is doing, respond and do it. Jackie Pullinger, who is um, the well-known um, leader from Hong Kong, um, who went there in the early days and had an enormously powerful ministry with the lost and broken of the underworld in Hong Kong and saw many people healed, saved, delivered from remarkable things. Um, she says this, and I'm going to quote this. If we wait until we have enough, or even until we have something, we will never give. But if we give what we have, we will not only have enough, but we will have a surplus. The only thing that you have is what you have in your hand at this stage. And the most important about that thing about that is that you give it. Whether it's as you stand in front of someone who is broken and something drops into your mind, is to carefully and gently, not saying, thus says the Lord, but saying, I wonder, is this what God is saying to you? Or saying to someone, can I pray for you right now? And then as you pray, just waiting for a moment and then saying, God help me. What am I praying for? What am I going to say? What is it necessary at this, at this point in time? And then doing it. John Wimber said, simply give what you feel the Holy Spirit has provided for you. And I think that's all that is required of us. And he said, whether it's kindness or prayer or revelation, just give it. Whatever you feel the Holy Spirit has given you or provided for you give it. If we wait until we are ready, if we wait until we are equipped or we think that we are, we're never going to get moving. 
And this is in essence about the story of the little boy. Philip says, we can't do anything because we, have, we need eight months wages to feed all these people. And Andrew said, well, there's a little boy here who's got five teeny weeny little loaves and a couple of fish. Tiny little fish from the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus takes that and he blesses it and he breaks it and he multiplies it and he feeds. Your responsibility, my responsibility is not to have all the answers, not to have uh, some massive ministry. It's the person in front of you at this moment or the next moment or the next day. And it's whatever you have. Is it a little kindness? Is it a little um, something physical, practical? Is it a bit of love? Is it a bit of revelation? Do we pray for people? Are we willing to pray for their healing and their, their deliverance to be set free? And then we do it again and again and again. And as we do so, we become more attuned, as Kerry did over the years, to what is God saying and how is he saying it? It all begins by our willingness to listen and then to give away what God gives us. Is it risky? Well, yes. Some of you have already found that out. And I think that it's, it's, it's the point is that we, we all always want some sort of guarantee of success. We want to have this in control. We want to know that we can say this and that's how it will happen. We can't control this. This is not about us. This is about God. The process really is this. God speaks. We obey, and then he acts. That's the rub. We'd love him to act before we have to be obedient, before we have to risk ourselves, before we have to give our five loaves and two little fish. We want God to step in and do grand things and fabulous things. And sometimes he does. But most of the time, he uses us. He has, he has said, he wants us to be the conduit through which his revelation, his love, his encouragement, his kindness comes to this world. And he says, it's in your remit, it's in your grasp, it's in your little bag. You've got those five loaves and two little fish. What are you going to do with them? Because that's how dependence and trust and faith works. We, we, we trust that God says to us, here is the thing. We keep waiting for God to give us miracles and healings and gifts. And what he does do is he gives us opportunities. Let me say that again because it's, it's the essence of this whole thing. We are always wanting God to do miracles. Without any risk, without any commitment on our part, we want God to just do sign writing in the sky. But what he does do is he gives us opportunities every single day with people in situations for his glory to be manifest, for his life to become known. He keeps giving us opportunities. And that's the point. The little boy pitched up with his lunch. And Andrew says, there's lunch. Philip said, we can't do this. Jesus said, this is how it's going to look. And if God speaks and we're willing to give the little that we have, that act of obedience could be 
the seed for some great miracle that we didn't expect. Make a commitment this week to listen and look to see what God is doing, what the Spirit is saying to us, and then to give what we're given to those in front of us.